I want you to take your Bibles and turn with me again to uh, Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3. And I want to read all of these verses again this mor- or tonight. Uh, we looked this morning at verses 1 and 2 and then verses 7 and the first part of verse 8. Uh, tonight, we're going to look at the remainder of these verses. And so if you would, wherever you are, If you would stand in reverence to the reading of God's Word, if you can. The Bible says, For this cause I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, for you Gentiles. If you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which is given me towards you, how that by revelation he made known unto me the mystery, as I wrote afore in a few words, whereby we... When you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was made known unto the sons of men, and is is now revealed unto the holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ by the gospel whereof I was made a minister according to the gift of grace of God given unto me by the effectual working of his power unto me who am less than the least of all saints is this grace given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery which from the beginning of the world hath been hid in God, who created all things by Jesus Christ, to the intent that now unto the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be made be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God, according to the eternal purpose which he purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence by faith of him. Wherefore I desire that you faint not at my tribulations for you. And here's an amazing statement, which is your glory. Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you today for your word, your truth. Father, I thank you for the reminder, Father, that you are coming back for your church one day. And Father, I pray that you'd speak to us in a very real and personal way. Father, let us understand this glorious marvelous mystery of the church that Paul was received by you, proclaimed to the Gentile. And Father, I'll give you the praise, the honor, and the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as you be seated, we look this morning at the messenger of the mystery of the church. And we saw in the life of Paul, in Paul's imprisonment, in his call, in his proclamation, we saw the glorious story of grace unveiled through the life of Paul. Tonight, we're going to look at this glorious story of grace unveiled in the message of Paul. And what I mean by that is, as God gave Paul this this revelation concerning the mystery of Christ, or can also be called the mystery of the church, he gave this glorious revelation about how the grace of God brought about this glorious body called the church body and how grace works throughout all the functions 
of the church. Now, so what I want us to begin with is as we look this morning at the first point, the messenger, I want you to look tonight at the miracle of the mystery of the church. The miracle of the mystery of the church. You see this here in verses 3 through verses 6. In verse number 3, you began by looking at the exposing of the mystery. In other words, God took the covers off. God put the light on this glorious mystery and revealed it unto Paul. Watch what he said. How that by revelation he made, and that word made there is passive, means God enlightened Paul to this mystery. A mystery that was held back by God to the prophets of old, but made known in this day to the apostle Paul. Made known unto me the mystery as I wrote a few more, few words, whereby when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ. And so we see here the exposing of the mystery. God made known by revelation what this mystery was. Now, Paul deals with about six different mysteries in the New Testament. One of them is the mystery of Christ in you, the hope of glory. But here we have the mystery of the church or the mystery of Christ in or being the church. Now, listen, Paul gives us really, throughout Ephesians, he gives us four things in which God exposed to him or four truths that God exposed to him concerning the church. We saw the first one in chapter 1, verse 22 and 23, when he says that Christ is the head of the church. It speaks of God's sovereignty over the church. That's the first glorious truth we saw about the church. But then in this passage we're going to look at today, we're going to see the second truth, which is the unity of the church in one body. And then later on, we'll see in chapter 4, verse 13. If you'll look at that with me, you'll see what I would call this, the maturity of the church. He says here in verse 13, till we all come in unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect or mature man unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So in other words, Paul said, listen, God gave me truth about the sovereignty of the church. God is over the church. But he also gave me truth about the unity of the church. Jew and Gentile becoming one body. And then he gave me this truth that through all of this, we may walk in maturity by, by the basis of what God has given us in the mystery and in the riches and in the position in Christ that we would walk in the fullness of Christ. And then in chapter 5, we find the fourth truth that Paul received. And you say, what is that? The destiny of the church. Look at verse 26. That you might, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water of the word. That he might present to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but it should be holy and without blemish. So what's the end of all of this? Well, can I tell you? One day, the Lord Jesus, He as the bridegroom, will present us the bride before the Father as a holy, spotless bride before God. And that's the destiny of the church. And so these are the four great truths in which Paul unveils about the church. Now, I have people all the time tell me, well, this is talking about the church in general, or the church in, if you will, global perspective. But I got news for you. 
Paul didn't write these letters to the church in global perspective. He wrote these church to individual, individual bodies of local New Testament churches. And yes, we're all part of one body. But at the same time, God is working through individual churches as that church is part of the body of Christ. And here's the picture of it all. If you and I do not understand that in the mystery of the church that was exposed to Paul, that God has set a priority on the local New Testament church, you are greatly, greatly, greatly deceived. I have people tell me all the time, say, Preacher, I don't have to go to church to be saved. Well, here's the truth of the matter. You don't have to go home to be married. But at the same time, find out what happens if you don't go home. Hey, I've got news for you. If you love your wife, you'll go home. If you love God, you'll come to his church. Because God has put a priority upon the church of the living God. And so all these mysteries were exposed by the to Paul by the Lord. Now I want you to see secondly in this miracle, the explanation of this mystery. Because this is what makes it the miracle. Watch what it says here in verse 5. When, when it in other ages was not made known unto the sons, sons of men, as it now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets, that the Gentiles, now here it is, it's a threefold miracle, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ by the gospel. And you say, well, what is the threefold miracle that explains this mystery of the church? or this mystery of Christ. Here's what it is. That God took the Gentile, and God took the Jew that come to the saving knowledge of Christ, and he removed the barrier between them. And here's what God did. God brought the Gentile into a joint heir with Israel in the church. Now you say, wait a minute. So are you saying the church came out of Israel? Oh no, listen. The church is a new creation of God. The church doesn't come out of Israel. And let me make this clear. The church is not Israel. But yet at the same time, God created a new body unlike anything in the Old Testament. And that new body now encompasses Israel that come to saving knowledge, Gentile that come to saving knowledge. And as I said last week in how God sees it is there is not a Jewish Christian and a Gentile Christian. There's just a Christian. And so God has made them joint heirs, fellow heirs in all that God has provided. And then the second miracle of this that we see here is not only are they joint heirs together, they're members of one body. Notice what verse 6 says. The Gentiles shall be fellow heirs and of the same body. So in other words, Israel's not part of one body, Gentile part of another body. Here's the reality. God has joined the two together, fitly joined the two together, and we are one body in Christ Jesus. And we have a unity. One body. Bible says one body, one spirit baptism. And you and I need to understand the glorious miracle. Now think about that. I mean, we go back to what we talked about Paul. You remember what we talked about Paul? He grew up hating Gentiles. He grew up uh, thinking 
in his pious religious attitude that these Christians that called themselves Christians, whether they were Jew or Gentile, it didn't matter, that he was to stone them because they were considered heretics. And here was the miracle of God's grace that the prophets, David didn't understand, Moses didn't understand, Abraham didn't understand. But now it's been revealed to Paul. And here's the miracle of it all, that God has created out of nothing a body for himself, and that body is the church. It's made up of Gentile, it's made up of Jew, and it's one body in Christ. And now those that hate it now fellowship together. If you tell me that ain't the grace of God. I mean, this is the reason it's such a glorious story of grace. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12 through 14. For as the body is one and hath many members, and all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. For by one spirit are we all baptized into one body, Listen, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have been all made to drink into one spirit, for the body is not one member, but many. What does that mean? Here's what it means. We're one body in Christ. But your body, like his body, has fingers, has hands, has arms, has legs. And each New Testament church formulates, and each individual believer formulates the body of Christ. Many members formed into one body. And so what happens if one of those members or one of those body parts decides not to do what it's supposed to do? It affects the whole body. But the miracle of it is, is God has joined together. And this is the explanation of this mystery. The mystery of the church. God putting together one body out of nothing and joining Jew and Gentile one alike. It's an amazing, amazing miracle of grace. Now, I want you to look, thirdly, at the mandate of the mystery of the church. Look at the bottom of verse 8. The bottom of verse 8, he says, that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and make all men see. See what? The unsearchable riches of Christ is the fellowship of the mystery. So in other words, this mystery of the church involves these unsearchable riches of Christ. That's the resources for the functioning of the body. And Paul said, listen, the mandate upon my life is to proclaim the riches of the provision of God for the body being the church. Now here's what's happening in America today. What we're doing today is we're proclaiming everything else. I mean, we're proclaiming what you and I need to do and don't do. And we never tell people, you can't do what you're supposed to do. And you can't not do what you're not supposed to do unless you understand the riches of Christ in your life. I mean, we're teaching people 
Really, I, I call it Christian Judaism. We're teaching people how to be religious without Christ Jesus. And where's the reality of it? It is the unsearchable riches that Paul was mandated to preach. It wasn't the feel-good things. It wasn't that you could go out and feel good about yourself. Hey, it was so that you could know how God sees you. You could know what God's provided for you. And you could know how to live the realm of the Christian life out of the outflow of who God is in you. That's the mandate of preaching. That's the mandate of Scripture. You study the Old Testament. You study the New Testament. It all points to this one glorious truth. The Old Testament showed the shadow and type of how Christ was all that God had for us. But yet the New Testament shows the reality of who Christ is that God gave us and then shows us the reality of how to walk in Christ that God has now put in us. It is the unsearchable riches of Christ. So let's look at this. The proclamation of these unsearchable riches. This word unsearchable is a unique word in the Greek text. Every scholar has tried to define it. Now I'm going to read to you the different definitions that I found just in my study. <laughs> just listen to this. The practical definition, the most the most uniform definition is that that cannot be tracked or that that has no footprint. But here's all the different terms, and I believe all these fit, but here's all the different terms in which scholars use. Some translators say that this word means to be inexplorable riches. Some say it's to be untraceable riches. Some say it's to be unfathomable riches. Some say it's to be inexhaustible riches. Some say it's to be uh, in scrupable riches. Some means that it's infinite riches. And you say, well, preacher, which is it? Can I tell you which it is? Yes! It's all of them. These riches in which Christ provided. These riches. These unfathomable riches. Or all of these definitions can be true. Because I promise you, the, what God provided for you and I as the church, you'll never reach the end of the provision. And you'll never figure out the completeness of the provision. There's no footprint that explains them, and there's no footprint that shows the end of them. But here's the reality. They are yours and mine in Christ Jesus. Now you say, well, preacher, what are these riches? Well, it's everything that God has given you from the moment he saved you to the moment he takes you home. And you say, what do you mean everything? Well, it involves your saving grace. It involves your sanctifying grace. It involves your relationship with Him. It involves your practical practice or practical truths that apply the promises of God, the provisions of God. It involves the eternal riches, your glorification. And you say, well, preacher, can't you nail it down a little more? No, because listen, it's unending. It's unfathomable. Listen, the day God saved you, these unsearchable riches began. And the day God takes you home, listen, they'll be fully committed and fully consecrated in your life. Paul says, that's all I got to preach. You say, well, Paul, 
Your sermons must be redundant. Oh, no, they're full of truth. Somebody asked me one day, said, Preacher, why do you keep preaching about Christ in you, the hope of glory? Because it is the gospel. It is the only message God had for us. You say, well, why don't you preach on on marriage? Christ is the answer to your marriage. You say, why don't you preach on addiction? Christ is the answer to your addiction. You say, why don't you preach to lost people? Christ is the answer for the lost people. Why don't you preach on depression? Christ is the answer for your depression. You see, it's all embodied in a person. He is the unsearchable riches. Paul called them exceeding riches in Ephesians 2, 7. These truths, these untraceable truths of Christ being everything for us, this was the mandate upon Paul's life to preach. And anything I preach, or anything anybody preaches, now I'm going to make a hard statement. If there's any preachers listening, listen. Don't throw something at the TV. But I'm going to make a hard statement. Any truth that's preached that leaves Christ out as being the only one sufficient to accomplish that truth is half-truth at best. It's the unsearchable riches in which Christ was mandated. So that's the proclamation of the unsearchable riches. Notice the persuasion of the unsearchable riches. Notice what he said. And to make all men see. The picture here is that in proclaiming these glorious provision of Christ as your unsearchable riches, he says, my heart, my call is that all men would see what they have in Christ. What the church, one body, has in Christ Jesus. And all of this is the grace that God gives us. You say, preacher, if you could get us at liberty to understand one truth, what would it be? Who you are in Christ and who Christ is in you. That would be the one truth. Because if you understand that and you walk in that by faith, Can I tell you, it'll take care of how you live. It'll take care of how you love. It'll take care of how you worship. It'll take care of every aspect of the Christian life. Because you'll find Christ is enough. He's more than enough. But notice lastly, the participation in the unsearchable riches. He says the fellowship of the mystery. This word fellowship is the word that we get koinonia, partnership with. So Paul said, listen, I'm coming to you, and I'm proclaiming to you this unsearchable riches. I want to persuade you. I want you to understand, know what they are, and I want you to participate in what they are. He said, why? Because these unsearchable riches of this mystery was not made known, was hid by God. God purposely hid them from the prophets of old, but has now revealed them 
unto you and I. Why? What good would it have done for God to tell Moses of the unsearchable riches of Christ? If Moses could never know what it meant to be indwelt by Christ, what good would it have done to tell David about the unsearchable riches of Christ? If David had never experienced the indwelling presence of Christ. So why does Paul unveil them now? Because Pentecost has happened. The church has been formed. The church has been made the body of Christ. And now Christ paved the way, Christ being the pathway, Christ being the everything. And now Paul says, now God has took the veil off. And now you'll be able to see what the prophets of old wondered about what the prophets of old showed in shadow and type, but could not understand or explain. Now you're going to be able to say, and now you can walk in participation with him in these unsearchable riches. Boate. Oh, but the grace of God that all this is true. I want you to look fourthly tonight at the ministry of the mystery of the church. This body, this one body, this mystery of the church in which God has abundantly supplied for in these unsearchable riches. You say the church has a ministry? Oh, he does. The church does. And you say, well, it's to the world. Oh, that's just part of it. Look what this ministry of the church is. Look at verse 10, to the intent. In other words, here's the reason why God gave you these riches. Here's the reason why he wants to persuade you of these riches. Here's the reason he wants you to participate in these riches. To the intent that now unto the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be made known by the church the manifold wisdom of God. As preachers say, wait a minute. Are you saying God's purpose for the church is to be a witness to the angelic host in heaven? No, I'm not saying that. God said that. God said that. You say, wait a minute, preacher. I'm supposed to be a witness to the world. You are! But did you know you're also a witness to the angelic host in heavenly places? Well, you say, well, preacher, what am I teaching them? Well, I'll show you in just a moment. You, you say, well, preacher, I, I don't believe that. Well, that's exactly what God said. But let me give you some reinforcement. First Corinthians chapter 4, verse 9. For I think that God has set forth us, the apostles, last, as it were appointed to death. For we are made spectacle unto the world and to angels and to men. Spectacles unto the world. The world's watching the church. It is. You know why a lot of people don't want nothing to do with the church? Because they don't see nothing different about the church than they see in the world. The world's watching. But I got news for you. This unsearchable riches that come through the mystery of the church, God's teaching His angels. 
through you and I, the church. And you say, preacher, are you serious? I'm saying absolutely. That's exactly what's taking place. I mean, let me put it to you this way. If you can kindly picture, there's this cosmic drama taking place. And in this cosmic drama, the actors are the church. The director is God. And the audience is the angelic host. And they're watching. And they're watching. And they're learning about God through the church. Now, I want to tell you, if that's not grace, I don't know what is. See, here's the sad thing. The church in America is not even being a witness to the world, much less a witness to the angelic host. John Stott said it this way, it is through the old creation, the universe, that God reveals his glory to humans. But listen to this. It is through the new creation, the church, that he reveals his wisdom to angels. It is through God's old creation, the universe, that God shows you and I, man, the glory of God. But it is through the new creation, the church, that God teaches his angels his wisdom. Isn't that an amazing statement? So what is God teaching them? Well, I'm going to give you two things, the manifestation of God's wisdom. Listen, the church is the living proof of God's wisdom and God's grace. You and I are a living organism through which God shows his wisdom and his grace. Sinclair Ferguson, he, he, he coined this definition of this wisdom that is implied here. He says this, it states this wisdom is God's ability to accomplish his own goals in his ways that are always true to his character in everything that he does. So what is this wisdom that the church is teaching the end of the coast? Here's what it is. That the church, being in oneness with Christ, as the body of Christ, as the church, as the head of Christ, is yielding themselves to the person of Christ. And then the person of Christ has the liberty through the church body to accomplish what he wants to accomplish, how he wants to accomplish it, when he wants to accomplish it, for his glory. And the angelic hosts look down upon the church and they see, wow, how wise God is. One Bible scholar gave this quote. I want to quote him as well. The angels can see the power of God in creation. They can see the wrath of God in Sinai. They can see the love of God at Calvary. But above all, they see his manifold, multicolored, multifaceted wisdom that is made known through the church. They see him taking Jew and Gentile, slave and free, male and female, who together murdered the Messiah and were worthy only of hell and making them by that very cross of murder one spiritual body in Christ Jesus. What all is the angels seen of God? Oh, they saw creation. 
They saw the parting of the Red Sea. They saw the parting of the, or the holding back of the Jordan. They saw God holding back the sun. They saw the Shekinah glory of God. They saw the miraculous birth of Christ. They saw the spotless life of Christ. They saw the horrific death of Christ. But they also saw the glorious resurrection of Christ. And they saw the Spirit of God indwelling man and creating a body called the church. And all that the angelic host have seen, it's the church that teaches them the wisdom of God. You say, preacher, would you explain that to me? I will. You ready? Grace! <laughs> the only explanation I have. Grace. Not only the manifested manifestation of God's wisdom, but the manifestation of God's ways. Look at verse 11. According to the eternal purpose which He purposed in Christ Jesus, our Lord, So when God sees you and I, the church, when the angelic hosts see you and I, the church, what is it saying about God's wisdom and God's ways? Well, that's a good question we ought to answer. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 10 through 12, of which salvation the prophets have, prophets have inquired and searched diligently, these being the Old Testament prophets, who prophesy out of the grace of God that should come unto you. In other words, in shadow and type, searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ, which was in them, uh, did signify when it testified beforehand of the suffering of Christ and the glory that should follow, unto whom it was revealed that not unto themselves but unto us did minister the things which are now reported unto you by them that have preached the gospel unto you with the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven, which things, watch this, the angels desire to look unto. I want you to see this word desire to look. Here's what it means in the Greek. The angels stoop down to look. They stoop down to look. That's what it means. Look at what? The church. God's wisdom informing and working in the church. God's ways informing and working in the church. They stoop down and look. Lastly, the measure of the mystery of the church. Look at verse 12 and 13. In whom we have boldness and access with confidence now watch what it says. By your faith in Him. Is that what it says? Watch what it says. 
by the faith of him. So what is the measure of this mystery of the church? The access of the church. We have boldness and confidence to have access to God on the basis of his faith placed in us. So even the faith is part of the unsearchable riches of Christ. And this is what gives us access to the Father. Isn't that amazing? But notice lastly, not only the access of the church, but the acclaim of the church. Wherefore I desire that you faint not. Now this word faint, I, I gotta, I gotta interpret it for you because it, it's rich. This word faint is, is a Greek word that goes back to the, the picture of a, a woman or a lady who is in travail and childbirth. Sometimes I, many times I get to go to childbirths and sometimes uh, they may induce labor or sometimes they don't even have to induce labor. And the woman will just, I mean, quickly give birth. But then I've seen occasions where a woman sits there in pain hour after hour after hour after hour after hour after hour. The picture of this word faint is a woman who is travailing hour after hour after hour after hour of childbirth, and the woman says, I can't do this anymore. The pain's too great. And here's what Paul's saying. Paul's saying, if you understand who you are in Christ, if you understand the mystery of the church, if you understand these unsearchable riches in which are available to you, he said, my desire is that you faint not at my tribulation for you. Don't faint because you, you wonder why. Why would God allow Paul to be in prison? Why is Paul in prison? He's our spiritual leader. He's our teacher, and he's in prison. Why? Why? It's not worth it anymore. He said, don't go there. He said, understand the unsearchable riches in which God's provided in the church and the access that you have before God because of his faith. And understand that my tribulations are for you. <laughs> God's taken my tribulations to help you wax bold. God's taken my tribulations to spread the gospel across the Gentile world. And here's what he says. And this is your glory. Now you say, preacher, what's Paul saying? Well, think about it. If I said to you, what? is the glory of the church. Would you say, well, God's using us to reach many people. Would you say that our worship experience together, would you say the truth that we study and teach, would you say the love that we have one for another? But how many of you would say, 
because the leader of our church is in prison. This goes back to what we talked about this morning. If you understand the providential will of God, then you understand that God was at work in Paul's imprisonment to expand the gospel and bring other Gentiles to the saving knowledge of Christ. In turn, God was growing the church. You see, here's what most churches view as their glory. Their budget, their buildings, and their attendance. But I want to ask you a question. Take your Bible. Well, I got some homework for everybody tonight. Y'all ready? Study the book of Ephesians. Tell me how many Ephesians ran. The church of Ephesus. Study the book of Colossae and tell me how many Colossae ran. Study the book of Philippians. Tell me how many the church of Philippi ran. Hey, the church after Paul's own heart, the church of Thessalonica, study it and tell me how many they ran. Oh, and by the way, while you're at it, tell me what their budget was. See, we got it all wrong. You see, the glory of the church is God having his will and his way. And we being at his disposal at any time. And that's exactly what Paul was, even in prison. Father, I love you, I praise you, and I thank you. Thank you for this glorious mystery you've revealed, the church. the church. And thank you for the story of grace and how you brought the church out of nothing, made it your body, provided through Christ the unsearchable riches of his person, caused us to be equipped with a great commission that we could be a witness to the world. And at the same time, use us, the church, as an instrument to teach even the angelic host of your wisdom and of your ways. Whew. Were it not for grace, how lost we would be.